0: Just as you're taking seats, why did not you take out your Bibles, your iPads, iPhones, whatever else you may have, and turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, verses 33 to 36. 1 Samuel 17, verse 17, wrong. Chapter 17, 33 through to 36. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. Amen. I don't know about you over this summer, I'm not a huge cycling fan if I'm honest with you, but I am a great fan of men and women of God, of discipline and rigour, and men and women who put themselves through what is necessary to get them to where they need to be. I've been catching a bit of the Tour de France that took place, and with great joy, Britain won it again this year. But it's not always been the case for the great British cycling team. Far from it until a gentleman named Sir David Brailsford became the head of the British cycling team in 2002. There was no record of success other than one gold medal in 76 years since the inception of the British cycling team. That soon changed in 2008 after... Sir David took over in 2002, whereby they went on to win seven out of 10 gold medals available at the Beijing Olympic Games. Four years later, in the London Olympic Games, I'm sure you all remember it well, in 2012, they achieved the same fate seven out of 10 available gold medals. He then went on to lead the uh, first British professional cycling team and Britain has won three out of the four last Tour de France. What a turnaround. What was the reason? You see Sir David introduced a principle called the law of marginal gains. The law of marginal gains. He knew from the podium positions they aspired to achieve, that they wanted to attain. They would have to come right back to the granular detail of the today to bridge that gap. He decided not to solely think on the big, but spend a lot more time in the little that makes up achieving the big. He broke down everything, I mean everything, that comes to take place, to come together, to become a professional cyclist. And what it means to perform on a bike. He aspired just to improve every small detail just by 1%. Just by 1%. And he believed an accumulation of all these 1% in the smaller details of the whole would come around to bring about great success. Some of the trivial insignificance, you, you would think, were things like looking at the aerodynamics, looking at the tightness of their shirts for optimum resistance and slipstream in against the elements. They looked at the mechanical truck where they serviced all their bikes. And they noticed that little small particles of dust were accumulating in the truck. And they thought these small particles of dust can make life and the mechanics of the bike harder to function in. So they painted the floor of the truck white and thereby they could see when there was an accumulation of small particles of dust. Who would think a small particle of dust? What does that mean towards achieving a great gold medal in cycling? But he wanted to look at the minor detail. He called in professional surgeons to teach his team how to thoroughly wash their hands so they wouldn't get any illnesses or infections. They made it protocol that during the Olympics or during any professional games, they would not shake hands with one another of risk of transmitting infection. All these small details were accumulating. He said to uh, to his racers, from now on, we're going to transport your own personal favourite mattress and pillow everywhere we go around the world. Because they thought just that 1% more better sleep accumulatively would bring about great success. He was a man of the law of small margins. He was a man who cared for the small details of today to increase and for it to accumulate to achieve the big, big picture of tomorrow, their dreams, their desires and what they were aspiring to do. This desire to win, this small margins and the decisions and disciplines, although trivial, corporately accumulated, uncompounded, further down the line, to achieve the great fates that the British cycling team now are achieving. Not only that, governments, corporations are looking into this, and they're looking at applying the law of small margins in their lives. How about yourself? What are the 1% small margins that maybe we could look at? What are the big decisions and dreams and aspirations with God you have further down the line? Let me ask you a question today. What are you doing in the little today? We catch a glimpse there in our core scripture, don't we? Of David... There a man who stands before this great giant, the great Philistine, who's defying the the, the armies of Israel. Nobody dares stand up against him. But this young man, David, stood tall and said, I will fight him. They laughed and they mocked him. But they didn't know about the small details of that young man's lives. We catch a glimpse of his mindset, we catch a glimpse of his heart here, and thereby we can catch a glimpse of what it takes in the heart of a man or woman to also achieve great things. You see, David was the youngest of the family, the family of Jesse. He was the runt of the litter, should we say. He was left with the least most responsible job of looking after his father's goats and sheep out in the wilderness and on the plains. But his desire and his decisions and his sense of duty would catch God's eye and in turn make him a worthy character for the future of great responsibility above and beyond all of his own dreams and desired. He was a ruddy shepherd boy and he would achieve more than he could ever imagine. You see, there he was left in the field to tend to his sheep with just the sheep as company and the stars as his entertainment. And If he was to lose a lamb or a sheep or a goat, um, it would be of no real consequence because that's what happened out in the wilderness. Sheep get taken by other wild animals. It would be no skin off his nose and actually he could excuse it very, very easily if a lion or a bear or any other wild animal did take one of his father's sheep or goat. But Not a man like David. He was a man who was diligent in his responsibilities because he lived for an audience of one. He and his role was to take care of his father's sheep and he would be diligent in it. He was a man of principle. He was a man of personal pride. He was a man of diligence. He was a man who carried out his duty. He defended the flock at all costs. And if one sheep, goat did get taken, he would track it down. Now listen, this isn't some fairy tale. Can you imagine a small young shepherd boy chasing after a lion or a fully grown bear to wrestle it and killing it to spare a small sheep or a, spare, uh, or, or, or a lost goat? Who would do that but here? This young man, we catch the heart of him and why he went on to achieve historical, incredible fates with God. He would risk his very own life to do his duty and carry out his responsibilities. Now, let me ask and let me say that his tomorrow was being prepared by the significant small percentage details of his today. We know the story. Samuel, sent by God, would then go into these fields where he was tending to the sheep and he would anoint him to be the future king of Israel. The private anointing that took place in 1 Samuel would later come to fruition many years later Through much trial, yes, testing, yes, hard decisions that he had to make, yes, great acts of duty, yes. But in 2 Samuel, the man finally fulfills the anointing of king yesterday and becomes the king of tomorrow that he was anointed into. But what is the key ingredient? What is under the surface of this young David? that propels him to carry out these great duties that we look at and admire today. I want to tell you that this one desire, this one word that he had inside him is the word desire. And this one word desire, we catch the heart of David right now in Psalm 27.4. Catch his heart, and you'll see the making of a champion. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You see, this is the unseen attribute of a king and of a champion. This is the power that draws him into his future ambitions and endeavours. It's the undercurrent that runs throughout his life. It's the travelator. It's the slipstream. It's the foundations. It's the driving force of this young man and future king. You see his focus. You catch his desire. He says, this only do I seek. A man of precision, a man of focus, a man of diligence, a man of duty. You see, the sole desire and focus of David would streamline and influence all of his decisions in his life. They would strengthen him to carry out his duties. And they would bring him ultimately to his destination. Let me ask you a question here today. What are you desiring? What are you desiring? And let me ask you, how much do you want it? How much do you want it? Because I tell you, how much you want it, how much you desire something will dictate the decisions that you will make in your life to attain it. And this is when your tomorrow starts being shaped by the very decisions that you are making today and the disciplines that you are applying to cultivate it. How much do you want it? What are you desiring? As a young Royal Marines recruit at 18 years old, naive, wet behind the ears. I dreamt of scenes of grandeur Royal Marines, commando, green berets, hostage rescue scenarios, beach invasions, fighting on the front lines all over the globe. It was a dream. I enrolled, but I scratched my head and I was frustrated and angered to find myself in some strange uniform on many, many occasions stood on a parade square, having to stand still for hours. And I used to think to myself, what on earth has this got to do ...with fighting on the front lines... ...of picking up my weapon and closing down the enemy. What on earth is going on? I got so frustrated, I got so disillusioned... ...freezing cold, wet, stood still for hours and hours. What a pointless exercise I used to think to myself. And then to make things worse, we would have to stand there... ...dead still... Without a flinch, we were barely allowed to breathe because of the movement that that would give off. Head and eyes front, shoulders back, stood to attention as the drill sergeant meticulously went through every single recruit and looked at every part of that man's being, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, One speck of dust on your berry. One small little scratch on your shoe. One crease, not quite straight. What has this got to do with soldiering? He walks up to me. We've just had a week crawling around in the mud out in the fields. And he looks very closely right up to my face. And he notices a small speck. Of dirt under my chin. He steps back with absolute disgust. Recruit Shimon, you dirty soldier. What is that under your chin? I don't know, Corporal. It's dirt. Raw Marines are not dirty. That is dirt. Now. Run back to the accommodation, you will pick up your mess tin, you will pick up a bottle of water, you will collect your flannel, you will collect a towel and you'll run back here quick sharp and that drain in the middle of the parade square, you're going to strip yourself down and you're going to wash yourself from top to toe in front of the whole parade square. Do I make myself understood? (laughs) I had no other choice. Off I went hastily, thinking, what on earth is this all about? Give me strength. What has a speck of dirt got to do with fighting on the front lines? What a load of ridiculous... (laughs) Off I ran, came back, did what I was told to do. And in my, my infinite wisdom, we used to have meticulous locker inspections. Our clothes had to be ironed to the size of a magazine. Not one millimetre of the fabric may breach the line and parameter of that magazine. It had to be perfectly aligned and perfectly square. And everything in that locker had to be immaculate. All our shirts, all our t-shirts, all of our immaculately ironed and folded. In my infinite wisdom I thought to myself... Listen, why am I wasting my time ironing all of these shirts? They can only see the top shirt. So instead of wasting all my evening ironing, I could be out enjoying myself or getting some sleep, which was a precious commodity back in those days. Why do not I just iron my top shirt? Until one of the corporals came along, Lifted up the top shirt to see the rest of my shirts unironed. <laughs> the whole contents of my locker found itself outside the window with pulp powder poured all over it. I would spend the rest of my night washing it all and ironing every bit of kit. Do you know what I quickly learned in those moments <coughs> when I was suffering from cutting those short corners? I would find myself losing my weekend holiday. I would find myself on extra parades. I quickly learnt, Chris, why don't you just do what they tell you to do first time and save yourself the aggro and the hurt later down the line? Small, finicky, irrelevant, What has this got to do with soldiering? What does the enemy care how long I can stand still for? What does the enemy care of my grooming habits? But I would very quickly come to see and experience the very minor, meticulous details that those men and instructors were weaving into us. You see, it wasn't about the ironing, it wasn't about standing still, it was about instilling in you a discipline, a focus, a resolve, a heart, a mindset that decides and chooses to do what's right in the moment, so later down the line, you equally will have the resistance, the discipline And the sense of duty to do what's necessary of you. I would find myself. Many years later. On a live mission. In a small team. Having to establish an observation post. To spy on the enemy. We would get so close under the cover of darkness, in amidst the enemy, that I could hear them talking at night. We were just a small four-man team. Any flinch, any movement, anything out of line or out of kilter, wedged in an observation post, surrounded by two fronts of enemy, would pretty much be our end. I quickly learnt then the resolve, the discipline and the years before of the simple small details of a speck of dirt, of the ironing of a shirt or standing still when I laid there that night in that observation post. It's not about the trivial, it's about the accumulation of the trivial, to build up a mindset. To do what's right, to do what's necessary, with the long picture in mind, when it matters most. My corporal would turn to me one day when he saw I was doing something wrong. And he knelt down close and he said, Chris, recruit Shimon, should I say. What you do in training, you will do on the battlefield. What you do in training, you will do on the battlefield. I never believed him. I never believed him until one day this small bad habit that I had that he picked up on and saw in me, I found myself doing on a live operation on the battlefield, and my mind was brought back to that moment, and his very words, do not be deceived, do not be mocked, the decisions you make today, the little bits of insignificance of your life today, the small trivialities, will will manifest further down the line, in one way, shape, or another what we do in training we will do on the battlefield so today the very perceived trivial disciplines and decisions that you don't think will make a difference at all in your life are actually catalysts and a means toward whether your today or tomorrow succeeds i was beginning to learn All these small little things in my life and I've come to learn in my life today, I think what am I doing today and am I investing in the essentials of today for the paramount of tomorrow? What are the non-essential things that I've got in my life today that are going to hinder me from getting to my tomorrow? You see, we've got to become essentialists and we've got to cut out all that's non-essential. The Apostle Paul said, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. You see, the permissible things, if we keep allowing them and we're not disciplined with them, will start to invade the necessary and suffocate it out. The beneficial will be suffocated and pushed out by the non-essential And eventually we're pursuing the non-essential things of life and we get taken off course. We become derailed for our ultimate destination of where we're wanting to go and where God needs us to be. Our lives are defined by decisions. The small everyday decisions that shape our lives. A little laven lavens the bread. Small decisions. Every day, in the very little, will build towards your tomorrow. You see, it builds a state of mind, it builds a resilience, it prepares you. Then, tomorrow, we make the right choice and we forsake today's temporal affections. We become disciplined, we become focused, and we apply today's essentials. And we begin to forsake the non-essentials because we are people of desire who are focusing on our tomorrow today. I want to encourage you, keep on track. You know, God's words, his promises, the leading of the spirit, the accountability that we have in our life. These disciplines are not there to suffocate us. They're not there to bind us. They're not there to steal our joy. They're not there to restrict us. But they're there to keep us and to channel us so we don't get derailed for the end picture in mind. Ultimately, we get to where God needs us and desires us to be. These disciplines, these focuses aren't there to hinder you. They're there to help you they're the tracks that keep you on course and steaming into the fullness of the promises of God now we go back years later and we catch up with David there he was we know the story he did stand up because the small details of his yesterday intending to the sheep would accumulate to him then being able to stand up confidently with the power and desire of the living God through him to take out the Philistine giant. He would then build on from that great fate to become a great king. We catch up and we see a little bit more of a smaller detail, further matured and accumulated in David's life in 1 Samuel 24, verses 4 to 19 generally is the story. I'll paraphrase it with you. When David was having great success, he was being looked at by Saul and he became jealous of him and he began to track him down and he began to try and kill him. This great man of Israel who went and defeated Goliath was now being kicked out from the community, ostracized falsely accused and threatened to be killed. He was separated from his wife and he had a small army of 600 men that were loyal to him. And David finds himself in a cave hiding from the armies of Saul, trying to track him down and kill him. But Saul goes into the cave. They say he had a call of nature. But in the quiet of that cave, Dave Id and some of his men were further back. They were quiet. They were scared. They were being tracked down in excess of 3,000 of Saul's men. They were a small number. He was angry with David and wanted nothing more to kill him. And then his men said to him, Look, God has put Saul into your hands, David. Now is your chance to kill him. David draws his knife and he walks towards Saul. Can you imagine the anger, the emotion that David has in his heart towards Saul, to what he's done for him? Ripped him away from his family. Falsely accused him, all the accusations against him. Personally tried to kid himself when David has done nothing wrong whatsoever. And he goes down to Saul. And all the flesh in him, I'm sure, was going, I'm going to put an end to you once and for all, and me running from cave to cave, hiding from you. But the discipline of the man, the focus of the man, the diligence of the man, the caring of the 1% details of the accumulation of his life brought him to a defining decision a moment in his life. Because if he chose to kill Saul in that moment the trajectory of his life would have been far, far different. But in that moment, against his affections, against his desire, he chose not to cut and kill Saul, but at minimum, just take a part of his robe. He spared his life. He would have had the full support and he could have probably very well got away with killing Saul in that moment. But he said... And he knew the principles of of God above any other human affection or any other prayer group pressure from external forces and said no. He made the decision of a man of diligence and discipline and said no. I shall not touch God's anointed, a principle of the kingdom that he chose to stand on and stand By The discipline, the self-control, the restraint that had been formed in the seemingly trivial of his life, in the field tending the sheep, was now being amplified in the defining big decisions and moments of King David's life. I want you to write this down. I want you to put this in the forefront of your mind. Do not sacrifice what you desire most for what you want now. Do not sacrifice what you desire most for what you want now. The measure of your desire will define the decisions and disciplines you will live in tomorrow. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back right now. I just want you to fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus right now and think about your own life. And let me ask you again. How much do you want it? We want to stoke that desire that lives in each and every one of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who have given their lives to Christ. The Bible speaks to us and tells us to fan it into flames, to stir it up so that our Desire burns strong in our hearts that we become men and women of principle and of focus. So when it's necessary, we are men and women who commit to the necessary Christ-like decisions and disciplines that are required of you today. They're going to shape further down the line what you desire most. There's a group of men and women here tonight, today, this afternoon. They're wanting to fan that desire ever more inside of you. But I'm also very sensitive and I'm also very mindful here this afternoon that this may not be an easy message to hear. Because you're sat here today looking back on your yesterday and today you're living in those fruits that you made previous, that you're living in today. But I want to tell you that today is a defining moment for you, where what has taken place can be left behind. the decisions made yesterday that you're living in today, we're going to draw a line in the sand, supernaturally. And a fresh wave of grace is going to fill your hearts and your minds. You're going to attain to a new mindset. And that is going to be developed in you and through you And you're not going to look back, but today you're going to make the decisions and you're going to look forward into your tomorrow. Some of you have sacrificed what you desired most for what you desired in the moment yesterday. And in your tomorrow, today, you look back and see the fruits and consequence of it. But we're drawing a line. I want you to be encouraged and I want you to take a leaf out the Apostle Paul's life who also made some very poor decisions in his past life that was shaping his today life. But God came and drew a line in the sand on his life, begin to change his heart and mindset and he began to run into the future. He said these words, and I believe he'd say these words to you today to encourage you likewise. My dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. We're forgetting the past. We're looking forward from a fresh foundation of grace. I want you to draw strength from the Apostle Paul again, speaking in Romans 8, where he says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and accord according to his purposes. Not only is a new line being drawn, but God is actually going to use all that you think is a disaster yesterday that you're living in the fruits of today and he said I'm actually going to use that in the only way he can the only way he knows how supernaturally for your good in the future in fact it will turn around so good that you'll even look back in those moments and decisions and think did God plan it All along, that's the miraculous work of the living God. When we turn our hearts back to him, when we repent of the past and we fix our eyes trusting in his grace into the future. I want you to be encouraged by Joel in chapter two where it says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God is going to restore you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you a fresh wave of desire in you. You're going to rise up as men and women who may have may not made the right decision yesterday, but today is choosing to make those right choices because you have a new mindset, you have a new heart, you're emboldened and you're strengthened and you care more about your tomorrow than you do today. You're fixing your eyes and you're looking forward. He will quicken the time and bring it back to you. You're stoking and stirring the founts of God, flames of Him inside of you today. You're drawing a line in the sand. I want you to all stand here this afternoon, Kenston Temple. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want him to minister to you right now. David was bold in his actions, he was a man of courage. He's a man who stood up and put his head above the parapet when it was needed. And required. I believe my message has spoken to you, some of you today. There's a group of you who knew or want a fresh stirring and desire in your life because your affections and your decisions are being a little bit hazy. You're beginning to compromise in some areas of your life, but you know that that's not your portion. You know that that small details and decisions you're making today isn't going to be the ultimate and the best for your life tomorrow. And when you make the right decisions today, you will stand into your tomorrow and you'll go back and you will thank yourself. You'll become your best champion. You will appreciate yourself so much because you'll look back at you yesterday and say, thank you for you preparing my tomorrow. I thank you so much. And you'll afford such a special relationship with yourself. You'll become like two. The one living in tomorrow and you're one standing looking into your tomorrow. And you'll become a team. You'll become the best unified team there is. And that third-stranded cord amidst you both is the Holy Spirit that aligns and strengthens both those. The you of today, looking forward into the you of tomorrow. Fan into flames. That desire, which is the undercurrent of your life that will forge you to make those right decisions today. And I understand some of you are hurting as you look back on the decisions yesterday, today. But like I said, we're drawing a line in the sand. I wanna ask you to be bold before God right now. And those who know that the fire is dwindling very slightly and you need a fresh stoking from that fire and desire to rise up inside you again so you can have the courage to make the right decisions. If that's speaking to you right now, I want you to be bold and I want you to raise your hands right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Men and women who are bold and courageous, who desire the things of God above all else. I'm going to ask you to take an even bigger step of courage, a step of faith, a defining moment. I'm going to ask you to make your way from your seats I'm going to ask you to come and stand before me, because I want to pray for you. Come forward right now, if you raised your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The second group of people right now, I understand or I may not understand the full entirety of what you're living in today, but I know of the decisions yesterday. You're drawing a line in the sand today because God has not finished with you yet. If that is you, I also want you to be bold right now before the living God and lift your hands right now and declare as a signal that I'm drawing a line in the sand. If that's you, raise your hands right now. Dear sister, good on you, come forward. Anybody else, I want you to come forward. I wanna take a moment just to lay my hands on each and every one of you as an action of faith between you and God right now, that there's gonna be a fresh stoking of fire in your heart today to make the right decisions according to righteousness and into your tomorrow. And for those who have drawn a line in the sand today. I'm gonna ask the worship team just to lead us into song right now. For those who have stood there on, and I'd ask you, as you're singing that song, just to declare it over these who have taken the courage today to step forward and say, I'm a new man. I'm stirring a new faith. I'm a new woman. I'm attaining a new mindset. And I'm a man and woman who's drawing a line in the sand of my yesterday, and I'm running into my tomorrow.